May the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I encourage you to open your Bible to the book of Revelation chapter 5, and there you will find our sermon text for this evening. As you know, we are in the midst of a series on the book of Revelation. And last week, we followed John up through a door in the sky into the universe next door. And there we saw a glorious and majestic scene of creatures and presbyters gathered around the throne of the Lord God Almighty for worship. We saw what I called a vision of the ideal presbytery meeting where you have all the presbyters who rule the church of Christ gathered around the throne of God Almighty, not to lord it over God's people, but to lead them in the Lord's service. And in response to the majestic glory of God, they stepped off of their thrones and fell on their faces in reverence and awe, and they offer up to God their honor and their glory and their power. They declare the praises of God, not their own. They confess the faith revealed by God, not their own opinions or doubts about the faith. They humble themselves in the sight of the Lord and center their life and their ministry on the Lord God Almighty. The ministry of our elders on earth should resemble the ministry of those elders in heaven. Well, today we are going further up and further into this vision of the universe next door not in the flesh, but in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And so I invite you, if you are willing and able, to please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word from Revelation chapter 5. And I urge you to pay close attention to the reading of God's Holy Word. And may the Spirit of Christ usher you into the presence of the throne room of God. The Word of God reads... I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying... Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne 
and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. This evening, as we go further up and further in, we will see that all the creatures of our God and King are centered on the throne of God. And they are lifting up their voices and praising God with their songs. As we draw near to God in this gathering of worshipers, we will see and hear what John did. Jesus called us up and in for the, the ultimate day of show and tell. And he does this in the Spirit. But what do we see? What do we hear? In this vision, which is a continuation of the vision from chapter 4 and from last week, in this vision we see a sacred book in the right hand of the one who is seated on the throne. The one who is on the throne is holding a scroll. And this scroll is covered with words, front and back. It is completely covered with words, which means it has much to reveal, and yet it is sealed, and so it also has secrets to conceal. Here's the dilemma. Not just anyone or everyone is authorized to break the seals and reveal the message of this scroll. The one who is seated on the throne is holding out his sacred word. But who will come and take this scroll? Who will come and take the Bible from his hand? Who will come and get these scriptures and open them up and tell the people of God what they contain? This is a question posed by a mighty angel. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Is this a rhetorical question? Is the angel saying no one is and we know it? Or is he actually saying who is able to open the scroll and break its seals in expectation that someone will rise up and come and take the scroll from the one who is on the throne? In verse 3 we see that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. Think about what it means to not be able to do something. There is an inability in every creature under heaven, an inability in every creature in heaven, an inability in every creature, wherever they happen to be, to come and take the scroll and to open the seals. It's not that they are unwilling. It's not that there's a lack of desire or a lack of curiosity. All of that was present, but it's the inability, the unworthiness. Everyone who hears the question is self-conscious enough to know that they are not the one who is called to this task. 
And I want you to think for a moment about what that means, that no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll. None of the Old Testament prophets were able to take the scroll. None of the New Testament apostles were able to do it. None of your favorite pastors or priests were able to do it. None of our beloved reformers were able to do it. None of us were able to draw near and take the scroll from the hand of the one who was seated on the throne. What does this tell us about the throne? It tells us that the throne is sacred, the throne is holy, the throne has high expectations. What does it also tell us about the scroll? Well, it tells us that the scroll contains something very important, that God does not entrust this message to just anyone and everyone. It tells us something about the way God sees this sacred book, the Holy Scriptures. It is a privilege that each of us have our own personal copy of the Bible. Some of you still use old-fashioned analog Bibles like this one. Many of you are using digital Bibles on your phone. And you have a variety of translations to choose from. You have a variety of Bibles on your shelves, various translation styles, all of those things. We have tremendous privilege to have access to the Word of God in this form. And yet we see that in heaven, not just anyone and everyone was able to take hold of that scroll. I want to remind you, for those of you who venture in to read the scriptures, who take time to reflect upon them, that while you do have a privilege to read and reflect on God's word, it is a dangerous privilege. Why is it dangerous? Because... In the truest sense of the word, no one can unlock its secrets. No one can unlock the secrets of God's word by their own power. No one can unveil the mysteries of God's word by their own wisdom. Like so many who have come before us, we cannot understand the things of God, the things revealed by the Spirit of God, unless the Spirit of God opens the eyes of our hearts and gives us understanding. We cannot take the things of God into our lives, crack open the seals, read God's Word, pay attention to what He's revealed, and understand it with any measure of accuracy and faithfulness unless God grants us the grace to do so. And yet there are many who willy-nilly, laissez-faire, rush into the Bible to pick and choose the things they like and leave aside the things they don't. The question that is posed in heaven might as well be posed for us today. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seal? The scriptures tell us something very important about themselves that we need to remember now. The scriptures tell us that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The scriptures also tell us that where there is no revelation, the people perish. They also warn us that when judgment comes to a nation or to a people, God sends times of famine on the land. And it's not always famine of bread and water, but the famine described by the prophets is a famine of the word of God. 
In other words, here's the point. If no one is able to take the scroll from the hand of the Lord God Almighty, if no one is able to unlock and unveil the message of the scroll, the world will perish in its sin. From the beginning of the world till now, gospel preaching has always been the ordinary means by which God reveals himself to sinners. It is the ordinary means that God has ordained to convey his will to people. When he wants people to hear the law and the gospel, he sends preachers. Now here in the United States of America, even among Protestant evangelicals, we often hear people moan and groan when the preaching is too long or too loud or too boring or too hard. And yet what do we see the Apostle John do? When no one rises up to take the scroll, when no one rises up to take the Word of God in his hand and to preach what is in the Word of God, what does John do? John weeps loudly. He's not crying to himself. He's not weeping in private. He weeps loudly. These are the weepings and the wailings of a man who understands what is at stake. He weeps loudly because no one is able to take the scroll and to preach the Word of God to the world. This word about weeping is the same one used to describe what Mary and Martha did when they were weeping at the funeral of their brother Lazarus. John is describing to us his state of mind, his state of heart, that he is grief-stricken. He is weeping aloud. And in the midst of his weeping and wailing, what happens? One of the elders, one of the presbyters, draws near and speaks to him and offers this pastoral counsel. Weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What does this presbyter do? He offers this solid pastoral counsel. He takes John who is weeping and wailing in the midst of his grief and he tells John, stop looking at the circumstance around you. Stop looking at this situation. Don't look at yourself and others and their failings. Look at Jesus. This is what elders are called to do, by the way. They're called to point the people of God away from themselves to Christ. And he uses the word of God to do so by referring to Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. He is pointing John back to the law and the prophets. In the book of Genesis, we hear this messianic prophecy Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you've gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Do not weep, John. Look at the lion revealed to you in the word of God, in the law. 
But he also referenced the prophets. Isaiah said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and the branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Do not weep, John. Look to the word of God revealed to you in the prophets. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Behold the root of David. And now that this presbyter has John's attention and John is getting oriented again by the word of God, he turns and he looks and he sees a lamb standing in the middle of the throne and the four living creatures and among the presbyters. This must have been a shock to John, just as it must be shocking to us, perhaps a little confusing. Why does he say, why does the presbyter say, look at the lion of the tribe of Judah, and then John turns and he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. The vision is showing John something. This is show and tell time, remember? This is show and tell. And so the vision is showing John a great truth, a profound truth about our God, that our sovereign God, our creator and redeemer, is a cross-shaped servant, not an iron-fisted tyrant. He is not a ferocious and ravenous monster, Rather, he is a gracious man and a merciful God. Richard Hayes put it this way, the shock of this reversal discloses the central mystery of the apocalypse, that God overcomes the world not through show of force, but through the suffering and death of Jesus, the faithful martyr. And Richard Bauckham says, this vision shows us that the new symbol of world conquest is sacrificial death. This is a symbol of the way God rules the world. So John turns and he sees a Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, looking as if he had been slaughtered. And he had been slaughtered, but he's no longer dead. He is alive and lives forever. Incidentally, this word slaughter is the same word that John used in his letter when he described what Cain did to his brother Abel, which indicates how Cain probably killed Abel. He slaughtered him the way a butcher might slaughter a lamb, the way the Lamb of God was slaughtered, given up his life for his people. Now, with that image in mind, you might, imagine a, uh, um, you might imagine a lamb that is struggling to get by, maybe gasping for its breath or limping around or leaning on a crutch, and yet in this vision, that's not what we see. He's not gasping for breath. He's not limping or staggering towards the throne. What is this lamb doing? He was dead, but now he's alive forevermore, and so he marches up to the throne. 
and perfect strength and the power of the Spirit. He lives and moves in this way. And he takes the scroll from the right hand of him who is on the throne. Why does he take the scroll? It's not simply to show that he is the one who is worthy to do so, but he takes the scroll with the purpose of revealing the contents of the scroll. He is going to open the scroll and he is going to preach the message of the scroll to his people and to the world. So I want to say something here to those of you who imagine that in the new heavens and new earth, that around the throne of God, all you're ever going to do is sing. Some of you are excited about that. Others of you are terrified by that. I want to disillusion some of you, or disavow you of your illusions, I should say, and delight the rest of you. But there will be more going on around that throne than just singing. As great as that will be, there will also be preaching. There will be preaching around the throne. And we know that because the Lamb of God has come and taken the scroll from the hand of the Lord God Almighty. And he intends to preach the contents of that scroll. In his book, Reversed Thunder, Eugene Peterson says this about preaching as an act of worship. Scripture read and preached discovers that Christ the Lamb reveals the meaning of my life and fulfills my destiny. Without preaching, no matter how splendid the throne and how numerous the elders and creatures, there is no assurance that I am included, and so the consequences is despair, enough to make a person weep. It is not enough to see the glorious throne, hear the wondrous songs, and realize the vast inclusions. If I do not discover that they include me, that they involve me, I will not praise but weep. This is why the presbyter went to John and said, Do not weep. And then he pointed him to Jesus. He didn't say, Do not weep. Here are three steps to make you feel better. Do not weep. Let me pat you on the back and hope it all goes away. No, he says, do not weep. And here is the, the solution to your problem. Here is the answer to your pain. Here is a balm for your soul. Look at Jesus. What does preaching do? Well, preaching shouldn't just shout at people. It's not here to make you feel guilty. We're not here to step on toes, as a lot of people imagine. No, Gospel preaching is about pointing people to Jesus Christ in His Word. And that's what these presbyters are doing. That's what this vision is about, is pointing people to Jesus. This sermon is a very faint echo of the kind of sermon you will hear from the mouth of Christ around the throne of God. The songs we sing are very faint echoes of the kinds of songs we will sing in the new heavens and new earth. The bread and wine we drink are just very small tastes of the bread and wine we will eat and drink when we are gathered in the presence of God on the other side in the universe next door. But we do it all the same because we are echoing what we see and hear coming to us from the other side. Jesus takes the scroll and he's going to preach God's word from the scroll. And you know what the scroll is going to say? 
you know what it's going to do. It's going to point you back to Jesus again and again and again. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going, to he- we're going to see and we're going to hear sermons that the Lamb of God proclaims from this sacred book. We are get- going to get to see and hear what's in this scroll. But we're going to have to be patient as we wait for that moment. As it was at the beginning, so it shall be at the end. As it was at the beginning when... Jesus spoke the universe into existence by the power of His Word, so it will be at the end when He speaks the new creation into existence by the power of His Word. He will do what He's always done. He will preach the grace and truth of the gospel, and the world will conform to His Word, and things will change. Earth will conform to heaven. God's will done there will be accomplished here. So suffice it to say for now that all the angels and all the presbyters in heaven have erupted in songs of praise and all of the saints on the earth are offering up their prayers all in response to the fact that the Word made flesh for the life of the world has gone before the throne of God and He has taken hold of the scroll. He's going to crack open the Holy Scriptures. He is going to read and preach the Word of God. And that is occasion for praise and worship. And as we see this happening in heaven, we should do likewise here on earth. Now I mentioned to you in passing last week that our worship service is a covenant renewal service. And that's not because we wanted to do something old school or traditional or liturgical or or stick it to anyone. We weren't trying to make a point. But we actually believe that God's will should be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And so our worship on earth is an attempt to reflect the worship in heaven. We have a call to worship. Come up here and see there is consecration by the Word of God and by the sacraments. There is the communion of saints, a gathering of God's servants around His throne and in His presence by the power of the Spirit. There is confession of sin and of faith. We are unworthy. God alone is worthy. God the Father is the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. The Lamb alone is worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. And this vision of the Lamb is a continuation of the service that we saw last week, the service we are participating in now, a service that will endure for all time. The scroll, the sacred book, is held out from the throne of God, but who can open it, who can read it, who can preach it? Only the Lamb of God who was slain is worthy to do that. Do you know why? Well, the answer is given to us in the song, the new song, that is revealed in verse 9. Worthy are you to to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This is why he is worthy to take this scroll. This is why he has the right, the authority, to go and take the scroll and to break its seals. Because he is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world for all kinds of people throughout the world. 
He shed His blood for the sins of all of His people. He purchased salvation for many, many, many people from all over the world. In this way, through His sacrificial death, the Lamb conquered the world. But unlike worldly conquerors, the result of His conquest is redemption for His people, not condemnation. Those He ransomed, those He redeemed are not degraded, but they are elevated. They are not shamed, but they are honored. That's why the song goes on to say, You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see how He honors His people by ransoming them, by purchasing redemption for them. And something you should know from our study in the Gospel of John, spilling over to our study of the book of Revelation, is that all of those people who were ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ will be mercifully saved. But none of those who were not ransomed by His blood will be unjustly condemned. He will always do what is right and good in the sight of God. The Lamb did not overspend His blood on those who would never turn and trust Him. Nor did He underspend His blood on those who would turn and trust Him but never had the chance. No, He makes it clear that His blood was not shed in vain. His blood will never go wasted. It will never return empty. It ransomed as many sinners as it was intended to ransom. And He will lose none of those for whom He died. In fact, He will save them all. So to be clear, the text, the song says... You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It does not say that you ransomed every single person everywhere through all the ages. But you ransomed a people for God from the world. Not Jews only, but also Gentiles. Now, I understand that this teaching shakes and stirs a lot of people on the earth. But I want you to notice that the response in heaven is much different than the response that you usually find on the earth, even among churches where this kind of thing might be preached or taught. The response in heaven is not grumbling and complaining. It's not shouts of God isn't fair and that isn't right and everyone deserves a chance. None of that. The response in heaven is simply shouts of praise for the Lamb. In verse 12, you have all of heaven and earth shouting, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the response to these songs is... Amen. And our response to this gospel of grace should be the same. Jesus Christ is worthy of all of our worship and praise. He's worship of all of our honor and gifts. He's worship of He's worthy of all that we can render to him because he laid down his life for sinners. The shepherd laid down his life for the sheep, the Lamb of God gave up His blood for the sins of the world.
And for all of you who have turned and trusted in him, he has ransomed you. He has purchased your salvation. You owe him your very life.